Hi there, this is Patrick Stroth with M&A Masters. We're wrapping up the year 2018 and there's been quite a bit of growth in rep and warranty, which we're thrilled with. We also really appreciate you guys that have been listening on the podcast as our database has grown uh, two to threefold in the last year. So thank you very much for that. One of the things I've noticed with the development of rep and warranties, there's still a little bit of reluctance in the legal community on the usage of the product, largely because I believe there's a subconscious concern that with insurance, insurance is just not going to be there to respond when a claim is posted. And for attorneys, they're a lot more comfortable with having a solid uh, contract so they can paper around it and holding on more of the seller's money because cash on hand is the greatest sense of security for their clients. To that end, I want to go ahead and replay a recording with an interview that I had with Joe Finnerty of DLA Piper, where he explains point on how rep and warranty insurers, not just particular carriers, but the industry as a whole, have really gone above and beyond to get it right in terms of a claim. And where rep and warranty as a, uh, a solid performer does more than your other insurance products out there. And so without further ado, I want to give you Joe Finnerty. This week on the show, we've got Joe Finnerty of the law firm DLA Piper. Joe's a leading litigation partner where he specializes in counseling and dispute resolutions for leading insurance companies. Joe has most recently been focused on representing M&A transaction insurers in disputes arising under their vaunted program, now Rep and Warranty Insurance. In addition to this work, Joe's regularly litigating non-insurance M&A matters, as well as fiduciary duty uh, actions and fraud for both private and publicly held companies. Joe, thanks a lot for being here and welcome aboard. Very happy to be here, Patrick. Thank you very much for that introduction. Well, thanks. Uh, so, Joe, tell us, how did you get started with corporate litigation? Well, I started as a um, an associate at a firm called Rogers and Wells, which has now uh, been merged into a firm called Clifford Chance here in New York. And uh, one of the clients of that firm was a, a company that we all know called Chubb Insurance Company. And uh, I began doing work when I was back in 1987, when I was a baby associate for Chubb. And that relationship has actually lasted all the way until now. And I'm continuing to do work for Chubb, but it obviously branched out into uh, some expertise for uh, in litigating matters for insurers generally. And um, I moved from Rogers and Wells and then formed my own firm. And then after a few years in that firm, I rolled that firm into the predecessor of what is now DLA Piper, a firm called Piper and Marbury here in New York City. And I've been uh, with that firm since 1996 and building a practice representing insurers worldwide. Um, so that's really how I got started representing insurers, doing just about everything you can imagine for them from uh, dispute resolution short of any kind of arbitration or litigation to full-blown um, litigation over just about any problem an insurance company can have. Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you, you picked well with DLA Piper uh, in 2017. DLA Piper was actually just recognized as one of the leading uh, law firms, top three law firms in handling M&A transactions and disputes, both in terms of number of deals handled and uh, transaction volume. So congrats to DLA Piper. Um, right. 
the uh, it's in the area of mergers and acquisitions that uh, I wanted to talk to you. And uh, the program that's out there now, one of the newest tools being used, is a product, an insurance product called Rep and Warranty Insurance. Now, as you know, the purpose of the product is where the seller makes disclosures to the buyer, and the buyer will uh, perform due diligence on those disclosures called reps and warranties. And based on uh, their view of the reps and warranties, they make a decision whether or not to, to purchase the company. If those disclosures are inaccurate and post-deal some new revelations come along that harm the buyer financially, well, there are remedies where the buyer can go after the seller, either from uh, withholding funds in escrow or clawing back other proceeds, which you know has developed a big tension as these agreements are negotiated. Well, the insurance industry came along and said, why don't we do this? We will come in, review the uh, disclosures, we'll look at the due diligence performed, and if everything looks good for a price, we will take on that indemnity risk. We will transfer that indemnity obligation away from the seller to the insurance company. Buyer, you have uh, confidence that you will have certainty of collection. If there is a breach, we will pay the pay the loss. And for the seller, sellers love this because now all of a sudden they don't have to have funds held in escrow, so they get more cash at closing. And then their indemnity exposure is gone because it's transferred to the insurance company. They get a clean exit. All this is predicated on the trust that the insurance company will actually, in the event of a breach, actually pay a claim. And the popular cynical notion between the public and insurance companies is that, well, this is great until a claim comes, but do the insurance companies actually pay pay these types of claims? And I think you're in a great position to tell us, give us your experiences as somebody who has been involved in these very, very claims. Yes. Um, it has actually, I, uh, I am in a sort of catbird seat to describe uh, the situation as it is now with insurance in place as compared to the universe of disputes over M&A transactions prior to the advent of reps and warranties insurance because I did litigation for buyers and sellers in those post-closing disputes before there was anything such as uh, reps and warranties insurance. And so I know what those disputes are about and how they get litigated and what the difficulties are in getting those kinds of disputes resolved before there was insurance, and now I know the world after insurance. And um, as you were indicating at the very beginning, um, because of the size of DLA Piper's uh, M&A transactional practice, there are quite a few um, M&A matters that end up in disputes, and I've seen quite a volume of those over the years. Uh, so I've not just by my participation, but I've also been uh, consulting as a partner um, on other deals. So I have a very good sense of what the, the dispute resolution world was before um, there was insurance and what there is now that there is insurance. And I have to say that it is a common misperception and I will I'll say this in the context of not just reps and warranties, but generally insurance, that insurance companies in some manner want to just hold on to money and not pay valid claims. Uh, that, that has, frankly, um, never been my experience. And I've worked with, um, I would say, just about every major insurer, um, U.S. insurer, that has had sizable claims and has had dispute resolution proceedings about them. I have not once had any senior executive at any insurance company say, Let's prolong this dispute so we can hold on to our money. That's just never happened. And I think one of the things that, that um, generates that misperception is that 
And this is true in the context of reps and warranties, as well as other disputes that involve liability insurance. The insurance company is coming into a dispute after the parties have fairly well defined what the issues are. And so there is an education process that's required for for the insurance company to get into a position where it can rationally and thoughtfully decide how to quantify the volume of the size of a claim and how much is insured under a claim. And that process sometimes feels tedious to insureds. And it is not tedious to the insurer who's being asked to write a check. So the tension between uh, informing an insurer and asking the the insurance company to get up to speed and the speed with which an insured would like to get paid is, I think, the crux of the friction that causes that general perception to exist in the marketplace. And now turning to, which I think is a mistake and a misnomer, uh, a mistaken perception. Turning to reps and warranties, I think that's that's probably where you want to focus the the conversation, if I'm right, Patrick. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah the, um, go ahead. Well, the uh, the perception then is if somebody doesn't get their check immediately, it's not because the insurance company is grinding away to look with a fine-tooth comb through the contract to find out where they can carve out or exclude a loss. It's more where you may have an entertainment company and the insurance does not know the entertainment industry completely, and so they're just trying to educate themselves on what the financials look like from an entertainment company versus they just did a steel mill the, the, the day before, and before that they did a technology company. And so they're just trying to learn the business uh, to get it right. I think that's exactly right, and, and learn the facts that um, they need to learn in order to understand the nature of the claim that's being presented. Um, and, and in the reps world, this is particularly true. Um, I, I don't, I think just about every insurance company or every insurance company I know is more interested in paying claims than they are in um, anything else related to this market. It's a very competitive market. There are a lot of insurers out there. And and as you um, expressed at the very beginning here, everyone understands that the viability of this product will depend on the willingness of insurers to effectively engage with the insured, understand a claim at a sophisticated level at a very fast pace, and pay valid claims. So uh, every insurer that I know in this market is working very hard to become as sophisticated as possible about managing, understanding, organizing the uh, facts, and sifting through and analyzing what's presented in order to quantify and pay claims as quickly as they possibly can. It really, I, I feel like I'm, I'm sound like I'm selling insurance here, but it's really, <laughs> it's really the, uh, the truth of the matter is the, the faster the pace of an insured giving information to the insurance company that organized in an organized way so that it can analyze the claim the faster they will be paid. There's no interest on anyone in this market right now or any any time in the future that I can foresee that an insurer will want to hold on to money for any reason other than just to process and understand exactly what's going on with the claim. Well, you've just destroyed a very popular myth out there, uh, you know, crashing down with the insurance carriers. They do want to pay. They like to pay sooner rather than later. They just want to get it right, which is you know, flies in the face of just the the knee-jerk, you know, popular belief out there. You mentioned uh, an issue there with regard to, you know, the people putting together information for you. 
if somebody has this rep and warranty insurance and the claim comes in, what's the process? How how can how can they make sure that they can get this get this claim paid to the you know a favorable outcome? Yeah, I think the the first thing that has to happen. I, I I've expressed this in a number of occasions on panels and and when I've spoken to insureds, the the lawyer who's going to be most effective for an insured getting a claim paid is the lawyer that instructs his or her client that that they must freely provide information to the insurance company. If there's any hesitation or any limitation on material information being provided, they can bet that there's going to it's going to take longer because the insurance company is going to continue to ask for all the relevant information until they get it. So the way I've phrased it on occasion is to say the zealous advocacy obligation of an attorney representing an insured in the world of reps and warranties mandates that that, insu- that insured lawyer tell its client to give up information as fast as they can to the insurer. And what we've done um, for various insurers in this context is organize a meeting at the very early stages because um, I think a conversation between people who are sophisticated about the claim and the insurance company that needs to get information um, is the best way to avoid the pitfalls that can happen sometimes in the context of claims handling by insurers. Insurers think that they're asking one big question that needs a simple answer. If it's written down in a letter, sometimes it doesn't get heard that way. It gets heard as a blunderbuss request from an insurance company that sounds very much like you know, the, sort of the uh, stereotypes of insurance companies. If you have a meeting with people that are reasonably sophisticated about what the nature of the information that's required, that exchange can happen much more effectively and much more um, simply and you get to you get to a point where you know exactly what information is being requested, and you provide it much much more quickly. So, the first stage in the process, from my perspective, is to organize that meeting. And then, and then after, so that's another real big content or you know myth busting truth out there is that this process isn't an adversarial process, policyholder versus insurance company. It's really a collaborative process. And all you're doing is, you know, the objective is let's get the collaboration started, make sure that we're all on the same page together. Precisely. And interestingly, this is um, a hybrid of um, the kinds of liability insurance that that existed usually in the market before this, before reps and warranties. Most policies in the market now are buy side policies. So the insured entity is the buyer of the company, not the seller of the company. So the the insurer is the insurer for the the party that's making the claim against the seller. So in in effect, it's not a liability insurance policy. It is a first party insurance to the buyer. So what the buyer has to do is put together a proof of claim uh, along the lines of other kinds of insurance where there's a proof of claim where you're just explaining to your insurer how you've been injured and how that exposure, that injury that you've gotten from a misrepresentation by the seller has resulted in loss. So all of the information is in the possession of the insured, the buyer here, and all they need to do is, is open the doors and give that information to the insurer and then the insurer will pay the claim. It's not and a situation a times, where there's an... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry, but a lot of times when the insurance company could bring in other outside experts, forensic accountants, and so forth. And it's not to find ways out of paying something, but it's to better understand. That's the, precisely it. 
And and these are the, the the we can get very deep into the complexity of the nature of claims that are made under these policies. But the essence of it is that at the heart and soul of a claim for a breach of a representation in an a merger deal or an acquisition is a claim that the seller in some way misrepresented the company that was purchased by the buyer. And the quantification of that injury based on a misrepresentation usually involves some element of the financial statements of that company that was transferred from the seller to the buyer. And the level of injury to the buyer usually is a quantification of the value of that company and the value as represented in the purchase price and the value of the company as delivered. And that differential requires significant amount of sophisticated analysis from an accounting firm to understand how the earning power of that entity is different than it was represented. And the quicker that everyone understands that level of sophistication that's required, the faster information can be given to those experts and you can get a quantified loss. Are you seeing more claims or less claims? Probably it's also a function there are more policies that are now being used. But have you seen a trend where claims are going up, number of claims are going up, and that you've got repeat players, so the process is getting smoother on the claim side? I, I think it, there are a greater volume of claims, but I think that's because there are a greater volume of policies. I think the um, statistics as they've been collected by some of the more um, significant insurers and then certain brokers who have been involved in, in this market have indicated that the, there has been a slight uptick in certain types of claims, but the overall number of claims as a percentage of policies has not increased very significantly. It may be going up just a bit, but it's not going, on, going up as a, as a meaningful percentage um, when you're thinking about the volume of policies as compared to the volume of policies sold. So that makes it a stable product where the, the losses are just commensurate with the number of policies and so forth. So uh, it looks like it could be a real sustainable uh, product for a good long time. You I mentioned brokers right. in here. Uh, share with me what the role of an insurance broker is other than the fact that you need one because these are highly regulated, specialized products, and a buyer can't just go call an insurance company and get the policy. They need a broker. Tell me what the role of a broker is you know, in a claim scenario. It's um, critical. Um, in many respects, the broker in, a, in the rep's claim scenario is the facilitator of that meeting of the minds that I was suggesting is the most critical piece at the front end. Uh, if, if the broker is smart and able and sophisticated about the product, as most that are in this industry are, they will understand the requirements of the insurer to get the information required to assess the claim and quantify it if there's a breach. And that process and the sort of the facilitation of the meeting of the minds is the heart and soul of getting a claim paid. And the, the best brokers do that very effectively. And they don't um, get in the way, but they are, in fact, um, the most, I would, I would argue, the most important player at the early stages of a claim. So it sets the tone of how information needs to be shared and the insured and, and explaining to a PE firm or a, um, a needy strategic company that, that feels that they have an insurance claim they should get paid, explaining to that person and in charge of getting the claim paid that the insurance company does legitimately require a lot of information in order to get to yes 
is a difficult thing. And if, if that broker has a good relationship and can effectively convey that, it's, it changes from night to day the experience that can be had by the insured and by the insurer. It's fantastic. They're, they're very much a, a facilitator, just you know, getting getting the communication open and setting the tone, which I think that from there makes makes uh, a, a tough job a lot easier. That's exactly uh, right, Joe. What would you? What's the number one piece of advice you'd give for people? That I mean, the the thing with mergers and acquisitions is people look at outside and say, "Is company A buying company B?" And it's not really that. It this is all comes down to people, and mm-hmm. you know, so there. Are, Companies don't make these decisions, people do. And right. for people that are particularly in corporate development or other firms that are that are seeing this activity around in this product with rep and warranty, what's the number one piece of advice you'd give them as a non-insurance person where you would tell them if they're considering uh, whether or not to insure their deal? Um, I would say uh, the most important advice is to, to be as open and clear-minded about what it is that you're buying and the expectations that you can have at the back end. In other words, I would say, understand that what you're buying is an, an insurance product that will pay valid claims. Do not think it is just a basket of money that will be available to you if you're disappointed in the purchase price and the purchase of the company that you bought. Um, I think one of the misnomers in the world uh, out there is that when you buy an insurance policy, you have a basket that just will take care of any problem, including disappointment in the value of the company. It really only pays as a seller would only pay if there was, in fact, a misstatement or a misrepresentation about the company. And I will say that my experience is, as compared to the early world when there was no insurance and the world now when there is insurance, if that insured entity, that buyer who has a problem with the company and there's a misrepresentation, the likelihood that they will get paid faster and more cleanly if they're open and provide the information required is multiples better with insurance than it was when you have a seller who doesn't want to admit that they said anything inaccurate in their representations. In other words, an insurance company presented with evidence that there was a breach of a representation and that the company didn't live up to something that was stated in the deal will with alacrity pay and come to a conclusion that it must pay much faster than a seller who is wedded to what they said and wants to defend the integrity of their statements in that deal. So look, look forward to insurance companies willingly paying better and faster than sellers would ever have. Outstanding. Outstanding. Did we miss anything? Anything, anything that I forgot to ask you? Um, I think you've summed up the the world as it is. I think, um, I think we've hit the high points. Obviously there's a, there's a quite a significant amount of detail that's in the world uh, surrounding uh, the the nature of these claims when they come, and it it does require a lot of understanding and um, and sophistication, as I keep saying, uh, in order to get to yes. Well, I think the, the the I think the the best experts out there are the ones with the experience where they've done, you know, from one deal to another. The, there's a saying that you know there aren't 50 deals; there are every deal is a, a separate entity in and of itself. And so the people that have been involved in handling these on a day-to-day basis. Those are the go-to people who can get you a favorable outcome and get you the help you need faster than anywhere else. 
Now, for our listeners out there uh, who may have uh, some situations there or may be looking into this, uh, how can they find you? Sure. I'm at uh, at DLA Piper's offices in Rock Center in New York City, and my individual email is joseph.finnerty, F-I-N-N-E-R-T-Y, at dlapiper.com. And my telephone number is 212-335-4800. That's my direct line, 4800. So thank you. Okay, fantastic. And and Joe, uh, again, appreciate you coming on and giving uh, a perspective that a lot of people hadn't hadn't heard uh, ever before. So thanks again. Happy to do it. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick.